0: Welcome back to the Wedding Wisdom Podcast with Doug Winters. This is episode 82. Today is Monday, November 16th of 2020, and my very special guest is the internationally acclaimed wedding planner Tara Faye, direct from her home in Dublin, Ireland. I'm going to keep this introduction mercifully short because her voice is so much more delightful than mine. As usual, I will see you on the other side. Here is Tara Fay. First of all, I'm very flattered that you came on because I take this as a sign that you liked what I did with your friend, Bruce.
1: I think when Tucci asks anybody to do anything, none of us say no.
0: Uh, Are you supposed to say, no, it's because you're so amazing, Doug.
1: Oh, that as well, obviously.
0: Is St. Patrick's Day celebrated in Ireland? Yes. It is? Yes. Here's the quote from the History Channel traditionally a more solemn occasion on the Emerald Island until Americans got involved.
1: Mm, not really, no. St. Patrick's Day has always fallen um, during Lent, which is, you know, the 40 days of fast and abstinence before Easter. Ireland being historically a traditionally Catholic country, people would have observed Lent and would have observed a Lenten fast. And a lot of people would have given up either Traditionally, you know, like sweets or biscuits or cakes and obviously also alcohol. So St. Patrick's Day was the one day that you were, that people gave themselves a day off from Lent.
0: Hence the consumption of all the alcohol.
1: Correct. So it's always been observed. It's a holiday here. So people, would. we always have had a St. Patrick's Day parade. Big ones in the larger cities but every small village and town would have a parade of some description um, and there would be a saint patrick's day party of some description i suppose what has changed that um over the last maybe 20 years or so with the onset of cheaper air travel when a lot of americans would have traveled for saint patrick's day to ireland to take part either in parades or else just to be here We've had a lot of these smaller gift shops um, spring up around the place where they would have the "Kiss Me, I'm Irish" um, t-shirts and everything like that. So that has, in the last sort of ten years or so, that has become a lot more popular here. Yeah.
0: I came up with a list off the top of my head of uh, Gabriel Byrne, mm-hmm. Saoirse Ronan, of course. Yeah. It took everyone in the United States at least a year
1: to pronounce her name.
0: To pronounce her name.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Is she as much? of a treasure in ireland as she is here
1: yeah but the thing about irish people and um famous people in ireland is that we don't tend to treat them any different so um irish people who have gained international renown for being either musicians or actors or any other type of of person can actually like coming back to Ireland because they can just, um, they walk down the street and nobody pays them any attention. In fact, it's nearly like a badge of honour to be able to walk sort of down a street, the main street in Dublin, without anybody paying attention to you. Like you two regularly would be around and nobody looks and they go, oh, there's you two again.
0: Glenn Hanser.
1: Glenn Hansard, yeah. He we would have played on the street, like a busking on the street. And every Christmas Eve, one of the main pedestrian shopping streets in Dublin, at about four or five in the afternoon, a lot of musicians all join together and put on an impromptu concert, including like Bono would be there, you know, different. Anybody who's around will all join in and everybody just joins in together. But like Matt Damon has been staying in Ireland recently. I think he was here from February. He went back in July and he just was hanging out. He was here. He decided to spend lockdown here because he was filming and then the filming got rescheduled. So he just stayed and he came back, then rented a house, stayed, had his family here. His kids were being homeschooled here because he just said, you know, it was great being in Ireland. He could walk down the street. Nobody paid him any attention. We don't take ourselves too seriously. And if you do, you'll soon be reminded as to why you can't.
0: What I did notice about your website It is staggeringly beautiful.
1: To me, it was really important, not just to get across the elements of what I do, but also to get across the fact that it is, it's a uniquely Irish company. We cater to a huge amount of destination weddings into Ireland. And then I also have a lot of destination weddings and events for Irish clients going overseas and also international clients going overseas. But it was to get across that sort of the Irishness and that sort of like luxury element of Irishness, because as you say, a lot of people will have this sort of impression that it's the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, which, right, and there's nothing wrong with that, or else- little,
0: little tiny pubs in the countryside.
1: Exactly, and that does happen as well, but we also have these amazing, incredible venues. We have incredible suppliers, with amazing food, um, and I'm very proud of that, and I'm very proud to be an Irish person working with international suppliers and international clients all over the world. And I'm very, very lucky to do that. But I wanted to get that across. And it was very important that that was represented in the website. And I do think TPD did a fantastic job representing that.
0: Now, TPD is the design firm that made your website?
1: Correct. And they're based in the US.
0: I'm calling them. Fantastic. (laughs) You know where I think you and Bruce originally came from? Was a recommendation from Christina Mattucci.
1: Christina and I met with David Beam when the three of us shared a car from Athens airport to a resort where we were all speaking. No kidding hmm And literally we had, it was just literally luck of the draw that there were, I think it was about eight people in Athens airport being transported to this conference. And I ended up in the car with Christina and, um, and David and David said that he just knew at that moment that I was being adopted forever.
0: <laughs> it was just love at first sight. Yeah. And had you know each other? Had you heard of each other? Had you?
1: Nope. I think that was probably my first um, international conference that I was speaking at. So that was probably, yeah.
0: Was David speaking as well or?
1: David was speaking as well. Yeah. Okay.
0: It's funny until I started this podcast, I mean, I've had a music company for 25 years Mm -hmm. and I started this about two and a half years ago with people that I knew in the business and I knew who knew me, like Preston Bailey, Ron Ben Israel, like people who've been, well-established in the industry. And it was very funny. I was dealing with Bill Spinner from the Pierre Hotel, told me to call this woman Norma Cohn. Love Norma. And remember, I would, I would go to people's homes or their apartments or their offices. I mean, Ron Ben Israel went to his office because it's a bakery, and why wouldn't you? Of course. This is actually my favorite story about the business. I finished with Norma Cohn, who I had never met never heard of. She, as I'm packing up my equipment, she says, Doug, hang on one second. And she goes, Sylvia, I just met my new best friend, Doug Winters. He's a music company. He has a podcast. You have to meet him. Four days later, I'm sitting in Sylvia Weinstock's living room. Yeah. you know.
1: But that's, I think, what's so amazing about this industry is that we hold each other up.
0: Yes. She told me a story on her podcast that she went with Preston Bailey to Engaged?
1: In Puglia. In Puglia. In oh. oh, you know the story? No, no, tell the story. Oh,
0: for those who don't know you, do you want to explain what Engage Summits is?
1: Engage Summits started 10 years ago last year. So last year was the 10th anniversary. So it started 2009 by um, Catherine Arcy and uh, Rebecca Grills. And they started their first, very first Engage. I think was for 40 or 50 people in Florida. And it was essentially a... A place for wedding professionals or people working in the luxury end of the market could come together, share ideas, network, learn, and just be treated to events that they would put on themselves. It now has grown into sort of three days in London last year, actually, which Sarah Haywood, a very dear friend as well, put on. They had a four day conference and it has grown from twice a year to now three times and i think in 2000 2018 there were four of them in one year here's the thing working i think no no matter what industry you're in when you're at a certain level it's quite lonely if you don't have somebody else to bounce ideas off or to even be able to pick up the phone and go look this is after happening Um, and no matter where in the world any of us are we all have the ability to pick up or to send a text or whatsapp or an email going look i have this problem are you free for five minutes i just want to run something by you and every one of us would do it for each other and it doesn't matter if we're competing for the same job or not you know we will tell each other that also and i think that a lot of that is down to the engaged community and there is a hashtag called because of engage and i think that is as well is down to what rebecca and catherine created in so far as it is about that networking, it is about, and it is that that whole thing about that that community is created for each of us to help each other, um, but also to learn from each other as well.
0: But the among planners and designers, it's a whole different it's a whole different ball game. It's much more fraternal.
1: But here's the thing. I mean, it, it's like <clears throat> I have this thing, you know. If something is for you, it won't pass you. So if you're meant to get mm-hmm. the, the job, you're meant to get it. If somebody else is meant to get it, somebody else is meant to get it. Yeah. And you know, if I'm, I, if a client says to me, "Well, we're deciding between you and somebody else," I'll say, you know, sometimes I'll go, "Do you mind me asking who that other person is?" Mm-hmm. And i will always say something good about them you know we're all different people and i think as planners part of the i always think the clients you know they may i'll say to them look you're making the assumption that we can all do our jobs it is more about the relationship you have with somebody i'm not everybody's cup of tea and what was the expression you used it's, if it's for you it won't pass you Um, my mother-in-law has this great expression Holding a grudge against somebody else is wishing them to die, but taking the poison yourself. And that's because it eats up inside you. So worrying that somebody else is going to get, there's always going to be other people that will, that will be your competition. There were always going to be other people that will get a job that you don't. Right. So what?
0: From my team of thousands of elves <laughs> that work in the back <laughs> doing my research for me, you were the first luxury
1: planner in Ireland? That is a fact, yeah. When I started, which was 1997, which was a few years ago, there wasn't a very developed wedding industry in Ireland, full stop.
0: I was going to ask you about this, like when it became so global.
1: Yeah. It, like at that time, there was, you know, if you did a tent for a wedding it was literally a tent. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, literally a know, tent, like an army. A, yeah, it's an ugly tent. <laughs> um, yeah. And maybe you never had, there wasn't lighting, you'd be, you know, there was a cable running into somebody's home to, to, for the power, you know, there weren't generators. It was a very different time. So it was hotels with standard functions. And we're only
0: talking 20 years ago, 23 years ago.
1: Yeah, it's 20, yes, 20 odd years. Yeah.
0: And there wasn't FaceTime, there wasn't Zoom, there wasn't.
1: There were intranets within companies. Wait, what was it Uh, called? there were there were intranets within companies
0: intranets oh really
1: yeah so that's what at that time there was like in 96 97.
0: oh so people in one company could talk to the people in the same company
1: correct i remember saying to people that i was becoming a wedding planner and they went but that's that's why would you do that why would anybody pay somebody to plan a wedding
0: and your answer was
1: because i want to
0: (laughs) now were you married when you started no because you said you your husband
1: no, he, um, he will say that our group, sort of the Engage group, that I'd say it's nearly like that. I found my tribe. Um, he calls us that we've all, we're all part of a cult.
0: <laughs> the cult of engage.
1: The cult of engage or the cult of weddings. I think no, he knows he knows a lot of them, um, and he's been to engages with me, and he's been to. Founders.
0: So who is that crew? Like I just had Brian Raffinelli on. Is he,
1: is he? So Brian has been for dinner in my home in Dublin. I
0: adored him.
1: Brian is amazing. Brian obviously is part Irish. His mother is is Irish American. Bob Conti is Irish American, obviously. Ed Libby is Irish American. So, I mean, I'm thinking of people that I would regularly be, like we would even go on holidays with. Like a large group of us went last year to Italy with Christina for her, um, and there was Christina Mattucci. Obviously, Ryan Hill was there, and um, Lynn Easton was there, and um, Augusta Cole, um, Bruce. Obviously,
0: I did hear you say one truly fascinating thing what was on that? a on a podcast. I mean, many fascinating. Yes, yeah. you were saying that you stayed till the end of every party that you do. Yes, that's fascinating. I mean, I do because I have to play mm-hmm. the last notes <laughs> and pack up. But I, it, it's something that I never thought to ask planners and designers, I would think that sort of once they know that everything is running perfectly, they take off or no.
1: It would be very rare that um, I would leave. And if I leave, if I'm leaving, it's only because, you know, one of the, one of the um, guys would say to me, look, we're, we're set here. There's only another half hour to go or something like that. You go off and we'll, you know, we'll see the changeover team or something like that. But I think it's, if you think it's, it's nearly like, and maybe it's the fact that I'm so superstitious when you think it's all going too well is when something will go wrong. (laughs) It's, you know, that sods law thing. That's
0: funny. I think they call it Murphy Murphy's law here.
1: Murphy's law. Yeah.
0: (laughs) All right. So when you decided to start wedding planning in Ireland and all, everyone said, wait, why would anybody pay to to, have?" And Mm -hmm. um, what had come right before that? Had you, Interned with someone else, or were you just really confident?
1: <laughs> I interned with um, with Renee Simons in SNR Originals in Tarzan in California, and she was an amazing lady, absolutely amazing. And her daughter Cindy still runs the company, um, who is equally amazing, and I still keep in contact with her. Renee was was great; she threw open her doors to me, and it was a full a full production house. So they had a. Um, a prop house they had a flower room they you know I went to meetings with her I went to site visits I worked in I worked within the flower department I worked in the art house so I literally worked across all of the elements on load in load out strike everything production schedules it was fantastic
0: was she a, a big name in the industry
1: she would have been one of the original sort of people working and um, producing bar and mitzvahs in, in California. Okay, the- this is going back over 50 years now, just because I think when I went, there, she'd already been producing for about 30, 40 years at that point.
0: So tell me what separates the luxury market from the middle market.
1: Of course, it's, go- it's going to come down to money, but I think it's also down to experience. The experience that you're producing for your client. hmm if the client is paying a thousand euros, say, or a thousand dollars, or they're paying a million, they should still get the same level of experience. I think you can give a luxury experience for your client at a middle range point and still make as money, as much money for yourself. Or it depends on what you want out of out of planning. I want to enjoy every single day. I want to enjoy the planning process. I want to enjoy my time with my clients, but I also want to create the most amazing event that they're going to be talking about afterwards. And they're never going to want to leave me.
0: I think what Bruce had said that I want to make sure that there's enough budget to do what I do and do it really well.
1: Correct. Correct. I always remember in the back of my head. I went. I had a very traditional upbringing, so I went to a convent school, and w- one of the nuns that we had teaching us, and but she used to say it every single day. And <laughs> if something is worth doing, it's worth doing well.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And it's something that I th- think has always stayed with me. And I'm not going to do something unless it is perfect. And I know that that's a very hard thing to maintain constantly because you know it's that done is better than perfect. But it's also that there's no point in doing something unless it's going to be something that you're proud of. And I have no interest in doing events that I wouldn't want to put on myself or I wouldn't want to go to.
0: Good is the enemy of great. Yeah. But if it's just good enough, it is not good
1: enough. It's not good enough. That's mediocre. And who wants right. to be mediocre? That your client has picked you for a reason and they're entrusting in some cases, especially if it's a wedding, one of the most important days of their life. And in some cases, it's one of the biggest investments they're going to make if they're paying it themselves and they're younger.
0: Mm-hmm. Sure.
1: And, you know, they deserve to look out for them and create the most amazing day for them for that amount of money. And if you're not going to be able to do it for that amount, it is incumbent on you to say to them, I, that is not my area. Here is somebody else who could do that for you. Because, you know, as Bruce said, and Bruce will, is very, is much more particular even than I am, whereas I'll just get stuck in and do it and go, okay, no, we have to get this done. It has to be done. It has to be perfect. And I would rather nearly go without sleep than, and, and make sure, ensure that it's right for the client if something happens at the at the last minute. Sort of, and that's an experience as well, knowing that I'm not going to be able to produce what you want for the budget that you're willing to, to spend and to have the confidence to say that as well. I think at the moment, for a lot of people, and even moving into next year, like post-COVID, if we're ever post-COVID. If we're ever uh, post-COVID. If we're ever post-COVID. I think one of the challenges for planners, and even people starting in the industry as well, is that some people may take on jobs or take on events that are, you know, outside of their... um, Comfort zone? Exactly, their comfort zone. And I just feel like that they need to think... And don't take something just because, you know, they have to pay rent at the end of the month or something and they need that.
0: <laughs> right. They, they need a really good yeah. deposit. Bruce and Tara live. Yes. <laughs> I was absolutely thrilled to have Bruce Russell two episodes ago. Mm-hmm. And I, what I told him that is that I was totally captivated about it. Not the RTE show, no, uh, which we'll talk about in a, in a minute. But the, the thing you did for YouTube. Yes. Uh, They were literally eight, nine minute clips of you bringing up a subject, like there was one, how do you fire a bridesmaid? Correct. The two of you just talk like old friends. You're like, how do you do it?
1: Because I think what we found is, especially like speaking to our couples on the RTE show, um, but also then speaking to the producers or our directors or everybody is fascinated by the stories that we have to tell. And it is like they're living vicariously through our stories. We then realized as we're telling them stories, there is a huge amount of really good content here that people want to know about. And at the start of lockdown as well, then we, we started doing our Instagram lives and we found out that people have a huge amount of questions. And a lot of the time it's the same question over and over again, mm-hmm. but they want to hear it in a different way or else they, they have a question that they're afraid to ask online and they'll send us a dm and we found that there's, there's all of this information hungry people are getting married that want to know this information it's all very well reading how to in a book or a how-to guide but what they want to know is they want practical examples it's like everything everybody wants to know go on really tell me what, what really happens
0: first are saying there's an overload of information there's just not an overload of good information
1: Correct. And I think as well, there's not a lot of, when we looked at the market as well, that we found that, and I think he probably used it as well, that we said, we're we're educators, we're experts, we're not influencers. So this is what we do combined. We have nearly 40 years of experience. We've forgotten more about weddings and how-to than most people will ever learn. That's not to say we've all the answers, but because nobody has all the answers.
0: Let's just talk about this RTE for a second, because it's, BBC in Ireland. Yes. And there's a show there called My Big Day, Home or Away. Right. Now, was it called My Big Day, Home or Away with Tara Faye?
1: No, it was always called My Big Day, Home or Away. So what, how the concept came about was I think they ran a competition internally with NRT um, from a producer's course. And they asked the producers to come up with ideas or concepts for new, new television series or new shows. And My Big Day was one of the ones that came out of it. And I got a call randomly asking me to go and test for it. So I went to meet them. Um, I think it was supposed to be a 10-minute screen test or just a chat. And two hours later, I was still there. I think they had said to me, you know, it's going to be two people, two competing um, planners. I said, great. I said, who are you thinking of? And they went, we have a few people. And I said, you know, I said, make your own decision. I said, do you want an opinion? And they said, yes. And I said, because it's going to be an international show, essentially, because it was going to be Ireland versus somewhere in Europe or potentially internationally. I said, and I know that you want to sell it internationally. What about using someone international? And I had mentioned and Bruce, because he's French Canadian, but living in the UK brings that sort of international element. I've been asked to do shows before and I've taken part in, in documentaries on wedding planning and things before and I and I hadn't for about 10 years because of the fact that I, I was never comfortable with editing because I think editing is a very powerful tool and you can be edited to come across in a particular way. What was important about doing this show was to actually showcase as planners what we do because there's a huge amount of, um, there's so many different names floating around about in terms of people working in weddings and the different titles that are put on them. You have wedding stylists, your wedding coordinators. So when I agreed and explained it to Bruce as well and how he agreed is that we said to them, we will do this, but you need to let us show our craft to show what it is that we do so people can understand what goes into a wedding, what goes into planning it, that it is not just a case of turning up with a, a, a chart that we tick things off on. It's a lot more. It's like 95% is the preparation that goes into it. And only 5% is the beautiful image that you see at the end. And that was really important to both of us that that came across on screen. And I think it does.
0: The way that Bruce described it, if someone has a budget of 20 euros, why should they not have the advantage of advice? Why shouldn't they get advice from the best?
1: So for the for the actual show it's two couples and they have um they have a budget of x and i think the mm-hmm. most was maybe 30,000 euro and they can't decide if they want to get married in Ireland at home or if they want to get married in another european country. Each planner has to present them with an option of a wedding and they then decide and we have to break down the budget spend the budget for them based on the number of guests. Or not, as the case may be, sometimes we go, well, you can have this venue, but you can't have all of your guest members. And then they have to decide, and the planner that they pick has to plan it, and the other has to be the assistant.
0: Within that budget?
1: Within that budget.
0: Oh, and the other one has to be the assistant, so they always get both of you? Yes. Ah, who wins most?
1: I wouldn't say. (laughs) I mean, is it a friendly competition? It's very friendly. And I think as well that one of the things and why it always got on so well is we had each other's back all the time. So even, you know, if we were filming out in the rain, they'd say something like, and I'd say, I'm not going out in the rain. And Bruce would go, she's not going out in the rain and I'm not going out in the rain either. (laughs) You know, and there was always a thing like we know now as well, like if we're watching a reality or a scripted show that people think it's, it's, it's real, that it's happening. We know that that's been scripted. Yeah. You know, our producers or the directors would say something to us like, well, we want you to say, and we would both look at each other and we go, we're not saying that, but tell us what you want to achieve and we will do it our way. We would say, we will get you to where you want to be. Tell us where you want to end up, and we will get you there. Trust us, and we trust us because and because we trusted each other as well.
0: But the full show is—is is it an hour, half hour?
1: It's a fifty-minute show, and there's five episodes. I present an option in Ireland, and Bruce presents an option somewhere in Europe.
0: Oh, so so how does the show end?
1: They follow the couple on the wedding day and and show, and then do closing interviews with both of us at the end of each at the end of each episode we thought the other person did on the day
0: oh nice and do you critique each other's work
1: yes but we'll always have spoken ahead of time to let each other know we're going
0: oh of course yeah (laughs) yeah boy you really screwed up those flowers (laughs) but i think it's a brilliant idea actually
1: It's a great concept. And um, I think Bruce had said on his podcast, his interview with you, that it's um, BBC World bought the international rights to it. So we found out during the summer when I randomly got emails from um, people saying that they had sought out my website and sent me emails to say they'd watched the show in South Africa and I loved it. And I think since then. That's what
0: he said. Yeah.
1: We knew they were selling it to um two different um television networks. And I think Bruce mm-hmm. told me the other day that somebody had told him that they've seen it in Canada. So it's being shown on some network in Canada now as well.
0: Oh wow.
1: Ireland looks amazing in it. Um and the countryside looks fabulous and the venues look fabulous. Uh, so that's all that I'm worried about because I um I do some work with our tourist board on promoting Ireland as a destination for weddings. Ireland has always been a a destination for weddings, but we've never actively gone out and promoted Ireland as a destination for weddings. So in the last few years, I've been working with the Tourist Board to create an identity for Ireland as a destination for weddings because we've got all of the things going on. You know, we have castles, we have beautiful manor houses, we have private estates, we have private lakes, we have private islands that people can go and have their wedding on sort of getting that out there to people so that they understand that you can still go to Italy if you want and have your beautiful castle or to France or to um, wherever but why not consider coming to Ireland from the U.S. It's a lot shorter it's a direct flight and we have um, we have customs and immigration facilities in Ireland so you don't even have to queue up for um, for that.
0: You know, what's funny is that I was literally, I know this is going to sound incredibly provincial, but I was actually looking at a map last night. Mm-hmm. and
1: a Little island in between the, the UK and, and the US. <laughs>
0: yeah, because I grew up on Long Island and you would go to Montauk mm-hmm. and you say, all right, next stop, London. It's like, no, next stop, Dublin.
1: Well, it's actually next stop would be the west coast of Ireland.
0: Oh, right. Dublin is the east coast of Ireland. Yeah, so correct. you're very close to England.
1: Correct. We're closer to Wales. So it's fast ferry, fast boat. It's 90 minutes to Wales. And a flight from Dublin to London is 50 minutes.
0: Oh, so it's like going from New York to Washington, D.C. Correct. Or New York to Boston.
1: But if you come from um, from New York to Dublin, for example, is five hours on a plane
0: as quickly as you can get to LA. Yeah. That's pretty cool.
1: And we also, um, which is a, a thing that a lot of people don't realize that in two of our airports, two of our international airports in Ireland, we have US immigration and customs.
0: Meaning what? You said that before. What is, what is the significance of that?
1: That means that instead of you um, as a U.S. citizen, instead of you having to queue up um, on the far side in, in the U.S. when you land, you go straight through because you've gone through your immigration in Dublin. Oh, okay. So it's part of your pre-clearance. So, you know, you go to the airport as normal two and a half hours beforehand for an international flight. You do your pre-customs clearance and your immigration clearance. So when you land in JFK or in Boston or Los Angeles or anything like that, you literally off the plane, collect your luggage and straight out.
0: Bruce was headed to a client in San Francisco. Went from Heathrow to Frankfurt to Nova Scotia. Yes. And he says, I have to quarantine for 14 days here and then maybe they'll let me go to San Francisco but I could easily fly to San Francisco and they could say okay you've got to turn around
1: back around yeah
0: but that's purely a COVID thing
1: that's definitely only COVID but I think what this has done is it, it I think it is, will change the way we all do business from now on mm-hmm. because I've been at tastings before where I video called them in anyway, um, or you know, have them in on a screen while I'm doing their, their food tasting for them. And that m- maybe seemed strange at the time, but that will no longer be strange. And if everybody thinks about the amount of time they spent on, on planes, going to five visits, three, four, five times pre-events, maybe won't be doing that anymore post-COVID, again, whenever that is. We have all learned to be a lot more efficient with our time. Now that is not to say as soon as people will travel, I'd say there'll be a queue right at the at the airport at the departure gate because everybody will be just wanting to go somewhere.
0: And it's also for you and for the client, I mean, to see something firsthand, obviously, to experience it firsthand. But...
1: completely. You can't replicate that any other way. That, you know, on a screen, that doesn't that doesn't make a, a difference. But I think what this has shown is that people instead of having a phone call now have are so used to having Zoom calls with clients, and the clients are used to it as well, so it, may, it it's normalized a little bit more.
0: I think you're a great ambassador for the Irish Tourism Board. When you think of Ireland, all right, so here's what I think of. I think of just standing on a cliff overlooking the... This- incredible green moss and old castles maybe that might have come out of Braveheart era Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know out of the fourth century or the 12th century it's just very either very grand or very down-to-earth local pubs it didn't occur to me until you said it it's also very cosmopolitan we have islands we have magnificent hotels we have everything that you'd find anywhere else
1: I mean, as well, I mean, you just said about cliffs there. I mean, the highest sea cliffs in Europe are in Ireland. That, and the Sleeve League up in, up in Donegal. And we, I worked on a photo shoot with the tourist board with um, the lovely Eric Kelly, who's a, um, a lovely photographer from the US. I think he was literally speechless seeing some of the locations that we went to because they are so incredible. There's a lot of epic movies, US movies and Hollywood movies that are filmed in Ireland because of the expansive greenness that we have. So for example, like the Princess Bride, the Cliffs of Insanity are down in County Clare. A lot of our hotels have just been in the last few years have won awards for, you know, being the top luxury hotel in Europe or the top top resort in the world. So we have Amazing venues, amazing hotels, and our food industry is incredible as well. Because we are an island, we're an island nation, so we have like we've amazing oysters, we've got incredible seafood, our lamb, our beef, all of our meat is organic because all the animals are out on grass anyway. We have have great dairy, so our cheeses are like um, we have buffalo mozzarella. We have we've an amazing food movement in Ireland, and people don't often think about Ireland as a food destination but we have every county and every region has its own specialities so say that people from Germany will have moved to Ireland or people from Italy will have moved to Ireland like food producers and they are now producing with but with local ingredients they are producing an Irish version of mozzarella cheese they are producing an Irish version of like a German sauerkraut you know or meats or something like that or cured meats and cheeses and we have we we just have beautiful, beautiful food here.
0: So what does an Irish version mean? Do you use the milk from the local
1: Yeah, basically, yeah.
0: Wow. So what are the names of some of the hotels? Are they owned by chains? Are they individual?
1: No, a lot of them would be they they will all be privately owned, but some of them will have like um Ashford Castle, for example, is part of Red Carnation. Okay. Um, like another one moving down, like um Belna Hinge Castle is is privately owned. It's another beautiful resort. Dromolan Castle is privately owned, but um, with US investors. Adair Manor, incredible venue as well, is is owned by a local person in Ireland. Adair Manor is the location for 2026. I think it's going to be 2027 now, Ryder Cup. Wow. And we have amazing golf courses as well. Didn't golf start in Scotland or Ireland? It started in Scotland, yeah. But I mean, you know, we've got incredible horse racing. We've got show horses. So a lot of people would come to Ireland to buy race horses or to buy horses for show jumping. So we, for being such a small island, we punch above our weight in a lot of areas. You don't come to Ireland for the weather. But what you do get in Ireland is that you get a welcome that you're not going to get anywhere else. And that is one of the big selling points. Because no matter what part of the country you go to, you will be made to feel welcome, and especially for a wedding. Irish people love weddings, which is why our show was, was went down so well, because they just they love watching a wedding. And it doesn't matter if the people in a local village know the person getting married, if it's in a local church or if it's somewhere, the whole village will come out to see the bride. No kidding. Yeah. And this could be in like a
0: modern city like Dublin or only small towns?
1: If it's in Dublin and if it's a city wedding, the bride could be stopped going down the street. You know, that very iconic photo of, you know, somebody running down the middle of a, a crowded street in traffic. Some people stop and go, congratulations, where's your wedding? Where'd you get married? And they will want to know. And everybody... like people While they're wearing a gown. Yeah.
0: That's hysterical.
1: So that is something that, yes, we have all of the other things, the full the package going together. But the reason that people come here to get married is the way that they are made to feel. You know, it's like Maya Angelou. You know, you're not going to, you know, people will will remember how you make them feel. I worked
0: with Maya Angelou. No way. She she wrote a show for Broadway, which never made it to Broadway, but I was the musical director. When she spoke, the room just got silent. Mm -hmm. But my favorite quote of hers is, when someone shows you who they are, believe them.
1: 100%.
0: (laughs) Why all these great writers attracted to ireland
1: because ireland was not somewhere it was it was sort of like in the last century it was quite bleak we had a lot of political unrest a lot of time um, and also we had a very um a countryside that was sort of ravished by poverty so it wasn't a pretty place to paint but we do have like paul henry was a, is a great irish artist like um jack yates um is another irish artist so we've got a lovely um we have great Irish mm-hmm. artists, but it was going back early, twen- early 20th century or late 19th century. But in terms of uh, like um, musicians and writers is because Ireland was always known as the Island of Saints and Scholars.
0: Of Saints and Scholars.
1: And it is that sort of, I think that, that poverty or that anguish that comes out in people's writing or in their music. The singing sort of are nearly the spoken music, their laments.
0: I was just going to say, there's a certain sadness.
1: It's very sad, but it is spoken and a lot of it is spoken in Irish, not in English. Some of it has subsequently been translated into English, but a lot of very long songs sung in Irish that could have maybe 20 or 30 verses. But they're telling the story through song. But a lot of the time they were never written down. so They were passed from generation to generation words would have changed or the meaning of certain songs would have changed over time or over generations.
0: Those were the first history books.
1: Yeah. I think
0: that's the tradition of folk music in America, like Pete Seeger and Woody Guthrie.
1: But if you look at that, you will probably find that the history of that as well probably goes back to a lot of Irish or Scotch immigrants that went to the US because they would have had their tradition of... A celebration of any description was based around song, prayer, and song. I think Irish people work very, very hard. It's nearly like they have to prove to themselves or to everybody else that they are as good as as everyone else. We are so ingrained in being the best version of ourselves.
0: Let me just ask you one last question about the luxury market and the engaged cult, <laughs> as your husband would say. If you said engage started in two thousand nine.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: People have always planned fancy parties. I'm sure when the Kennedys got married in Hyannis ports, I'm sure it was a spectacular Gatsby parties in the 1920s. But as an industry, the international destination wedding business start truly flourishing. It's a fairly new business, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. I think for me, like I can speak from, from my end, when I started doing destination weddings was probably 2002, 2003. And then I know that in Ireland, for example, after sort of the economic crash in 2008, 2009, a lot of people felt more comfortable celebrating outside of the country because they didn't feel comfortable throwing a large event or spending a lot of money when so many of, of their peers or colleagues were, were hurting financially. But I think, I think it's definitely in the last 20 years would be that the luxury destination market is still relatively new.
0: Because I always say this to people, I say, listen, I know what it's like to get a 10, 12, eight piece band somewhere in the tri-state metropolitan New York area. I can't imagine when you start adding hotels and getting people on planes and making sure there's a back line in, in Ireland or you're in a really? castle and that there's going to be the right electricity Mm -hmm. and everything falls on your shoulders that's why I have so much respect for all the planners and designers I've had on
1: here's the thing we're not performing brain surgery we're only putting on a a party or and it is about the people around us and I learned very early on about recognizing the areas where you fall short and bringing good people in to cover those areas because I don't speak musician, my production manager knows this. Um, and she's amazing. Like I'll talk to her and I go, do we need an artist liaison on this one as well? And she'll go, yes, I have somebody in mind, don't worry about it. And um, we'll put a stage manager here, then we'll put somebody on F&B, put somebody on guest concierge a travel coordinator. And it is, we'll build out the team based on the actual event and the clients and the venue.
0: Someone once said to me that they all want to feel like they're having the best party that ever happened and they don't want to get ripped off.
1: I always think it's a good thing to put yourself in their shoes. And how would I feel if I was speaking to me? What is it that I want to hear? I want to know that that I'm not going to be told when something, when the chip's hitting the fan. I want to know that I am having a great night. And if there was any problems, I'll hear about them afterwards. You're creating this bubble around your clients. A lot of the time they don't need to know the minutiae of detail. So if they have a headline act or if it is that the stage has to be turned around, that there's two or three bands going mm-hmm. on, or that there's a lot of entertainment at the point when they keep adding or they say they want something i go okay that is fine but this is the knock-on effect of that it means that we are going to need x number of people to bring them in to manage that so that it is the way that you want or the florals or whatever but unless it's managed properly you may as well just give me the money and i'll throw it in the fire i've never had somebody come up afterwards and go that wasn't value. And I can say that to people and they understand. you. I'll always ask, have you been at one of our events or how were we referred to you? Yeah, And then I go, okay, I'm not giving away secrets. But for example, if you look at that, can't let me tell you how many people put that together. Sort of the, along the same vein of when I was saying about Bruce and Tara, you know, people want to... They know where they want to get to, but they don't know the questions to ask. So, you know, it's that same. They still want the same value. They still want to know how to do something, but they want you to do it for them.
0: I I, I love on the Bruce and the Terra Live, like you had one about nothing but contracts. Yes. That's my favorite one.
1: That's, I think, there's another one, and I don't think it's on that or not, where we actually try and um, explain the difference between what a planner does, what a stylist does, what a designer does, what a producer does, so that people can understand what somebody, a hotel coordinator in a hotel does.
0: Right. That's actually what I'm trying to do with this podcast, is really educate. Because the mm-hmm. world, it, because... They're all just labels. The, absolutely. In addition to that, it, you know, yes, there can be $5 million bar mitzvahs, you know, and, and there can be astonishing... Ten thousand dollar parties, you know. It's a the wedding industry and the the market. You didn't realize it until COVID hit in the United States. This was the number that hit me. It was like said forty million hospitality workers applied for unemployment, including me. And I called uh, my friend at one of the hotels, and I said, I never thought of myself as a hospitality worker. And he said, it's everybody. He says, You're, you legally cannot work. You physically cannot work. You, and that's an astonishing thing to say.
1: It's not just hospitality workers, it's not just people working in tourism, it is the knock-on effect of every other person involved with the wedding. And what I say to the communication with people in government, I'm saying, you know, for every wedding it is minimum 15 suppliers. Each of those suppliers now it could be up to 50 suppliers, but each of those suppliers could have three or four people working on it. So imagine the knock-on effect, even if we just take the fact that there are 23,000 weddings in Ireland every year, normally, on an average Is that year. right? Between twenty one and twenty three thousand weddings every year, and you know, for a country that is just over four million people, that's yeah, that's why. Of I, that's people. why I was. So, you know, extrapolate that out by the the number of people now that are so it's oh, two hundred and twenty thousand people in the tourism industry, but that's only taking into account people working directly in hospitality. Right.
0: That's not including the musicians. That's not including
1: musicians. Not, not including stationers, chauffeurs, photographers, videographers.
0: When I was talking to my friend at the Pierre I was saying, when do you think we're back? And he says, if the average New York, let's say the average Pierre wedding is 200 people between my front of house, back of house, the full band, the photographer, the catering, you know, everything, double. So 200 people is 400 people. So it's when, he, when can you have 400 people in a space Correct. to make a 200 person wedding happen? And what I love is that I think you've given a lot of insight the reason I originally called the Wedding Wisdom Podcast is because I I really wanted people to, to give their wisdom, as, as you have in more ways than you know, because it's a fascinating industry. The, when I started the podcast, I actually started it because I said, wait, we work in this business that people don't think of as a huge industry. And I don't think people did until... The pandemic hit and said, okay, there's 40 million people applying for unemployment in the hospitality industry and the trickle-down effect or what you, you're call the knockdown right. effect is astonishing. I mean, it goes down to the guy driving the truck who is going to bring the flowers.
1: Exactly. You know? But I think as well that I, people laugh when I say it, but to work in this industry, it's a vocation. Otherwise, you're never going to last because you have to not just love it. I think you have to live it.
0: Right. So I'm interpreting that to mean that it's a serious job. It's a, it's just astonishing the amount of work that goes in and the matter of, of responsibility. And you make it all sound so comforting and so easy as you would to a couple. But I know the sleepless nights and the nights you stay up and trying to figure out where to put this in the budget. And, you know, is this going to work? Or is this person flying in? Am I going to have trouble with this? You There's so many elements.
1: You're absolutely right. And I don't think people often realize that it's sort of like, oh, you're just a wedding planner. One of my daughters met Harry and Megan when they were in Dublin. She does coding. So she was presenting a coding, a computer coding project to them. And they said to her, what do you want to be when you grow up? Do you want to be a computer coder or do you want to work in science or do you want to work in maths or something like that? And she said, no, I want to be a wedding planner. And they went, oh. (laughs) word the news afterwards and interviewed for um for newspapers and they said she wanted to be a wedding planner now Faye is my maiden name so nobody associated her with me and I just laughed and anybody who knows as my daughter laughed as well but it was sort of like why would she want to be a wedding planner not that they don't value it until they need it
0: yes that's what I would say it is a very undervalued industry
1: and that's fine
0: yeah you were absolutely lovely and I can definitely see how you and Bruce get on so well.
1: We do. We speak nearly every other day.
0: Tara Faye, thank you.
1: You're very welcome. Pleasure.
0: This has been wonderful.
1: Not at all. Pleasure.
0: Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. My only question after that conversation is what wedding couple would not want to get married in Ireland and have Tara Faye planned it for them? The reality TV show we were talking about is one that she co-hosts with Britain's Bruce Russell, who actually was our guest on episode 79, and it's called My Big Day, Home or Away on RTE2. It can also be found as Bruce and Tara Live on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. And don't forget to follow Tara directly on Instagram at Tara Events. Everybody, please stay safe, stay strong. We will indeed get through this together. I promise. I will see you real soon. Bye-bye now.